0: Well, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We're going to finish up the chapter by looking at verses 19 through 28. You can find it on page uh, 923 there in the Pew Bibles. Today we come to the end of Paul's first missionary journey. It's been roughly a year to a year and a half since Paul and Barnabas were first set apart and sent out by the church in Antioch, being sent by the Holy Spirit to go and to make disciples of all nations. Their first priority in missions is to proclaim the light of the glory of God, the knowledge that comes from the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, and Lord willing to protect these The gospel to protect these new converts to Christianity, these new believers from darkness. And so, as they made their way across the island of Cyprus and then up into Galatia, when given an open door to the gospel, they would tell of God's unending faithfulness. They would tell of the glories of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They would tell people of their true plight. That God has and is and always will be faithful in preparing the way and sending the risen Christ to free us from our sin. Despite the hostility, despite the persecution, despite the loss that they experienced, they were able to persevere in the ups and downs of ministry so that whether people responded in rejection or in rejoicing, they were able to hold fast to the mission of Christ. And they were able to do that because their assurance came from God because of the surety of His Word, because of the sufficiency of our Lord and Savior, because of the sustaining grace of God and His sovereignty in salvation, and because of the steadfastness of the mission itself, it will not fail. And friends, that truth gave them great humility, great compassion, and great confidence in the gospel so that no matter who they were speaking to, No matter who it was they addressed, they were able to say, listen, we are just like you, but with better news. That's where we've been so far over these last weeks as we have walked with Paul and Barnabas through this first missionary journey. And now as we come to the end of this first run, we want to make sure that we understand Paul's methodology for missions. You see, it's one thing for us to say that our priority is to proclaim the light of the gospel and Lord willing to protect those against darkness. It's another thing to have a practical long-term strategy for how to go about doing that. And friends, here's why this matters. Okay, if you just said, oh man, he's talking about missions, tune out. Here's why this matters. There are three billion people in the world today that are among unreached peoples. When I say unreached, what I mean is not that they just haven't been reached, but there is no access to the gospel. There is no access to the word of God. When we say unreached peoples, we're not talking about random unbelievers who are just kind of scattered here and there throughout the globe, but we're talking about people who comprise people groups, that they live in a culture in a value system, in a language, in a place where nobody has access to the gospel. There are 6,700 unreached people groups in the world, living in darkness, no access to the light. There are another 3,800 people groups that are partially reached. There's some evangelical presence there. There are people who would identify themselves as Christians there's still another 1,100 people groups who are minimally reached, meaning that there are very few evangelicals there. There are some who would identify themselves as Christians, but it's very minimal. And perhaps what, what statistic was most tragic when I read it this week and reminded of the fact that there's now a new category, 1,700 people groups who are considered formerly or falsely reached, meaning they would call themselves Christians, but they don't know what that means, right? Because of the strategy, because of what was done there, yeah, they would proclaim the name of Christ, but they either hold the false doctrine or they don't practice the faith altogether. There are 2.2 billion people in this world today that would call themselves Christians. But of that 2.2 billion, only 550 million would call themselves evangelicals. And what do I mean when I say evangelical? An evangelical is someone who holds that the Lord Jesus Christ is the sole source of salvation, and it comes only through faith in him. And his crucifixion and his resurrection from the grave verify that claim. Evangelicals are those who have a personal faith in Christ. They have been converted. The Lord has done this work to regenerate their hearts. And so now they are born again. Evangelicals believe the Bible is the inspired word of God and is the ultimate basis and authority for faith and for Christian living. And evangelicals are committed to biblical witness to evangelism and missions that brings others to faith in Christ. That's what I mean when I say evangelical. 550 million out of 7 billion people on the planet. Now, there are some 400,000 missionaries, Christian missionaries. This is lumping in larger categories than even evangelical. But when I say missionary, what I mean is somebody who's going out intentionally to proclaim the light of the gospel to those who walk in darkness. That's their primary objective. 400,000. But of that 400,000, 77% of them are going to reached peoples. 19% of them are going to under evangelized people. And only 3% are going to these unreached people groups. 3% 3% of 400,000. Now there are 5.5 million Christian workers out there in the world today. When I mean Christian worker, I mean it's like they they are professing christians who are doing good works in the name of christ now they're not there primarily to proclaim the light right to to evangelize to disciple to start churches they're doing good deeds in jesus name important things you know like orphan care or or education or disaster relief or or all of those good things you know medical care like things that need to take place but there's there's 5.5 million of those, their primary job is not to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples or to plant churches, but to do good works in Christ's name. But of these 5.5 million Christian workers, 76% are ministering to the reached world, 24% to the under evangelized world, and only 0.37% towards unreached people groups. The annual income of church members in the United States. This is just church members. This is not your regular tender but not a member, but just a, a, you're an actual church member. You're committed to the church body. The annual income for church members in the United States is $42 trillion a year. But only 700 billion is given to Christian causes. Most of that takes place in the United States. Only 45 billion is given to missions every year. More money is embezzled from the church every year than is given towards missions. More money is spent on audits or other services that is given towards missions each year. And of that $45 billion that's given each year towards missions, only 450 million make it to unreached people groups. Now I could go on, but what is evident is that somewhere along the way, we have confused our mission. We've confused the cause of Christ that we are to give ourselves towards. We have traded Christ for comforts, the salvation of souls for personal safety and security, missions for Good Samaritan-type ministries, and the one true faith for a worldly, confused faith that calls light darkness and darkness light. So we need this passage, to know how to focus our efforts to faithfully bear witness to the mission of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see from Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 28, is that the missionary enterprise is to raise up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations. And this passage is going to provide us with a clear and straightforward strategy for that. The missionary enterprise is to raise up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations. And so with that in mind, let's read Acts 14, beginning in verse 19. Now let me bring you up to speed with where we are, okay? So, so Paul and Barnabas have made their way into Galatia. They went first to Antioch and Pisidia, right? Preached the gospel there, got driven out of the district. And so they made their way to Iconium, right? People followed them from Antioch to Iconium. They preached the gospel there. They, they heard that they're trying to stone them, so they left and they went to Lystra. And so now here they are in Lystra. A man who was born lame gets healed. And the people try to worship them as gods. They can barely keep the people from worshiping them, and then we come to verse 19. But the Jews, or but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. The missionary enterprise that Christ has given us and that we see Paul and Barnabas doing here is to raise up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations. And there were three ways, three focuses that, that Paul labors in in order to achieve this goal. One is by engaging and evangelizing the lost. Two, by establishing and equipping the church. And three, by expanding mission through cooperation. Now, if you have a really, really good memory then you might remember or might recall the fact that this is basically the same outline that I gave you when we looked at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30 on God's plan for church growth. You see, God's plan for missions and God's plan for healthy growth of Christ's church is one and the same. They're not distinct. And so it's not surprising that the outline would be the same. And so it's worth retelling. I mean, Luke retells it to us, and so I'm just following Luke. So so don't think that I'm just kind of redundant. Think, okay, this is really important. And so our first strategy that we see Paul doing in this missionary enterprise is to engage and evangelize the lost. Now, this shouldn't be hard for us to see in Paul's ministry. I mean, it's Basically on every single page. Paul even describes his own ministry. It comes up time and time again. Just a couple of examples. In, In Acts 26, Paul said that the risen Christ had appointed him as a servant and a witness to Christ, delivering him from his people and from the Gentiles to whom Jesus sent him to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. And so this appointing that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ required then that he take the light of the gospel out to those who lived in darkness. The reached people going to the unreached people. Make sense? He would say later in in Romans chapter 15, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now friends, this is a big deal, because this is not simply Paul's personal mission strategy. This is not just his goal, his ambition. A lot of times people read it that way, as if to say, okay, you know, that's fine for you, Paul. You know, you want to go and you want to preach Christ where he's not already been named? That's fine, but that doesn't have to be the case for us. And we know that it's not because that's the objective that's given to the church. It's not just for him because he quotes Isaiah 52 verse 15. and says, this is the work that God is doing. And as his children, this is family business. This is what we're doing. This is what we devote ourselves to. Those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never, uh, who, who never heard will understand. And so that's why we go and we make disciples of all nations, because God says, this is what's going to happen. This is that steadfastness of the mission. This is going to happen. God's going to do it through his church. And so we who are his children, we devote ourselves to the family business of making disciples of all nations. That's what Christ is doing through his church. to sow the seed, to shine the light of the gospel to those who are in darkness, to make his name known to those who have never heard, to reach the unreached peoples. And so when Paul and Barnabas set out from Antioch, they went to Cyprus because the gospel had not been proclaimed there. They went from one end of Cyprus to the other, from Salamis to Paphos, because their goal was not just simply to proclaim the name of Jesus and to get out as quickly as possible, but to make disciples of all nations. They wanted to see people turn from darkness to light, and to be able not just to to do that initially, but to actually be able to continue on that gospel proclamation of making disciples who make disciples. When they made their way through Galatia and came to Antioch and Pisidia, then on to Iconium and then on to Lystra to open their eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sin and find themselves in a place in which they, alongside all of God's children, are being sanctified by faith in Christ. And when persecution drove them out from one town to the next, we see in verse 20 that Paul and Barnabas went on to Derby, And there in verse 21, it says that they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Now, this is really, really important for us to consider because what's happening here is there's two participles. There's one participle that means to evangelize, to proclaim the good news, to preach the gospel. And another participle that means to make disciples. These two participles fit nicely under a primary verb and they're connected with two very unique conjunctions that tie them all together and treat them as synonyms. We don't look at them as distinct like oh you know preach the good news and oh make disciples but preach the good news and make disciples one mission this is This is big you can 't think of one without the other. They go hand in hand. You see our mission is not done just because the name of Christ has been proclaimed among unreached peoples as if all we need to do is get the gospel to them, right? We just, we just send in some, some transmitter radios that, 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 that proclaim the gospel message, or we, we, we fill up some MP3 players and hand them out with, with gospel tracks on them, or we just, as long as we just kind of sneak in and preach the gospel and get out, we can call them reached. We can, we can consider it done because we haven't made disciples Doing that is how we end up with 1,700 people groups who are formerly or falsely reached. And nor can we think that we're making disciples apart from evangelism. You see, there's not a divide between evangelism and discipleship, and we can't just focus on one without the other. No, disciple-making includes both evangelism and discipleship. We don't just share the gospel with them. We share our very lives as well. And since Paul's enemies left him for dead in Lystra, he had plenty of time then to move on to Derby and not only to proclaim the gospel to that whole city, but he had plenty of time to make disciples as well. You see, we need to have a a more of a long-term relational view of evangelism and missions because disciple-making is the process of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to those who do not know him and to continue preaching the gospel to them until all of God's people, all disciples, reach maturity in Christ. Preaching the gospel to that city Engaging and evangelizing is simply the first step. But here's the thing, guys we never move beyond it. We never move beyond the gospel because believer and unbeliever alike need the gospel. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the truth that we all need to hear and to believe. And so when Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Pisidia and Antioch in verse 21 to encourage and build up the believers there, these brand new disciples, what do they do? They preach the gospel. When they move on from there and make their way through Pisidia and Pamphylia in verses 24 and 25, just like in Perga and no doubt Adaliah, they spoke the word of God. And even when they returned to Antioch in Syria, they proclaimed how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so, they're preaching the gospel. And God opened that door of faith to the Gentiles through Paul and Barnabas as they engaged and evangelized the lost. Friends, this is the mission that we have been given by Christ to make disciples of all nations. That was his parting word to his church. And so it matters to us. This is a mission that starts as we intentionally go out of these doors to engage and evangelize those who do not follow Christ. It's not gonna happen if we think that we can just open up the doors and expect them to come to us. We go to them. We take the light To the darkness. We don't expect the darkness to just walk into the light. And as we take the light of the gospel out into darkness, we look for doors that God Himself has opened. As we develop relationships, like what we're doing with the 40 Days of Friendship on campus, the goal is not just to share the gospel, but to share our lives as well, to engage the lost in relationships, to speak the word to them, not just to proclaim the message and then leave, but with the goal of making disciples of those among those whom God has opened the door. Now this can look a lot of different ways in a lot of different contexts. But no matter where you are, the strategy is still the same. Engage and evangelize. If we are not engaging and specifically evangelizing, it may be Christian ministry, but it's not missions. We cannot make Christ, the very Word of God made flesh, known to them without proclaiming the Gospel. And so... We must preach the good news. Friends, of that 3 billion unreached peoples that I mentioned earlier, 452,000 of them are students in American colleges and universities. There are 88 heads of state in these closed countries who have gone to school in American universities. We have the unreached peoples living within a mile of this church. So we need to engage them and evangelize them. We have this great opportunity to do it right where we are. And if you're here as someone who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't identify yourself as someone who follows Christ, I hope you know that the living God who created all things has made a way for you to live the life that you were always created to live. A life of fellowship, a life of of blessing, a, a life lived with God forever in His glory, both now and forevermore. He has made it possible for you to be redeemed from all that would enslave you, all that would condemn you, all that would hold you in death so that you might live for Him. In a million different ways in your life, God has proven himself faithful. You can see it in creation. Just look at the sun, moon, stars, mountains, oceans, valleys. See it there. You see it in God's common grace towards you that that takes place in a million ways in, in every day of your life. Every moment in which your heart is glad in some temporary satisfaction. Every morsel that you put in your mouth, every breath that you take, every drop of rain that falls from the heavens is evidence of his goodness and his faithfulness, his kindness towards you. But even more than that, the Lord has sent his one and only son while you were still rebelling against him. To live a life that you and I could never live, to give up that life as a sacrifice for sin, and to rise again to glory in order to reconcile you to God, to live in his glory forever. To adopt you as his child. To give you everything, every true fulfillment of every desire you have ever felt finds its hope and satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus. you must repent and believe. Every time you hear that message, every time you read a a scripture posted on some billboard or somebody's Facebook wall, every time you hear the Word of God being proclaimed or you crack a Bible, that is God's faithfulness to you and helping you to know and to understand the gospel, to see the glory of Christ. And so friends, repent and believe. Turn from the futility of living a life apart from God and find your true soul satisfaction through faith in Christ. But friends, you need to understand something. This is really important that you get it. In your hearing, Of what I am proclaiming to you right now, you have been engaged and evangelized. And so be warned. It's not something other than what I just did right there. And so the question is will you reject it or will you respond by rejoicing through faith in Jesus Christ? But, friends, Paul didn't stop there. and So neither do we. Once we have engaged and evangelized, second, we establish and equip. Missions is far more than just evangelism. Now, it would be nice if all we had to do was set up some radio broadcasts Or some television stations that we could just parachute in some Bibles or some gospel tracts. We can kind of covertly sneak in there real quick, proclaim the gospel, get one person to kind of give a head nod to Jesus and then get out and call them reached. Check it off our list. Done. Done. And we think to ourselves, you know, because of our tactics, that Jesus is somehow going to come back sooner. This is actually the way that some people actually think about missions. That if we just go in and we proclaim the gospel, we don't care to who, because it's not about them. It's not about making disciples. It's just about getting the name of Jesus proclaimed there. And we check it off the list. Jesus is going to come back sooner. As if that's going to change anything. Because only the Father knows the day and the hour. And that date has been fixed from before the foundation of the world. But yet... So many people do. That's how they think about missions, but not Paul and not us. No, the command to make disciples of all nations is to make true disciples that will grow and remain faithful to Christ until the end, and who will seek, by God's grace, to make disciples of all nations, and that would continue on for generation to generation to generation until finally the Lord returns. If missions is fulfilled simply by proclaiming Jesus' name or by doing some very good and needed works in his name, then why didn't, did Paul get up after being left for dead and enter back into Lystra in verse 20? Why on earth would you go back? Because it wasn't to lick his wounds. It was because he knew he was going to have to leave the next day because of this persecution. And he wanted to take advantage of that short window to do everything he could to establish these new believers. If the task was complete, once the gospel was proclaimed, why didn't Paul just check Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra off the list? They've been reached. Done, done, and done. Why does he go back after he had made disciples in Derby? And return to Lystra where they stoned him. Returned to Iconium where they tried to stone him. Returned to Antioch where they kicked him out of the district and hunted him down for over 100 miles on foot in an attempt to kill him. Why did Paul write the letter of Galatians to these people once he returned to Antioch in Syria? Why would he return again to these cities on his second missionary journey? It's because the missionary enterprise requires that we establish these new believers in the one true Christian faith and to equip them with any means necessary to help them to persevere to the end. And, friends, I've got to tell you, it is this aspect of the mission that requires the greatest long suffering and sacrifice. It is this aspect of the mission that requires the greatest risk of dying to ourselves in order that we may serve to establish others in Christ. And Paul was willing to risk his life to go back in order to make sure that that happened. He didn't want to leave them. He went to establish them, even if they sought to kill him, in order to equip the believers that were there. Friends, can you see the heart of Christ and his care and concern for these new Christians? And So in verse 21, after he had preached the gospel to the city of Derby and made many disciples there, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And here's just a glimpse of what that establishing and equipping looked like. Verse 22, they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they strengthened the souls of these new disciples so that they would stand fast against persecution, against temptation, against false teaching, training them in sound doctrine and godly living so that they might put off sin and put on Christ. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, to continue in the grace of God, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They taught them perseverance. And just so you don't have the wrong idea about what encouragement means, because we got this light and fluffy idea about encouragement, right? Saying nice things that make me feel good about myself and my situation. That's what we call encouragement today. Here's his encouragement. He encouraged them by telling them that through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Through many troubles, through many afflictions, Through many pressures and distresses and oppressions and difficult circumstances do we enter the kingdom of God. And this is coming from Paul who was just stoned. Just months before you saw him and you see him now with the scars on his face. Think that's not real? And he said it is Necessary. It is through these tribulations that we must. It is necessary to enter into the kingdom of God. You see, just like with Christ, there is suffering before glory, a cross before a crown. And friends, I can't help but wonder If one of the biggest reasons why the church today is so anemic, people may profess to be followers of Christ, but when you look at them, you can't really tell. They don't look any different from the world. Why so many people sort of seem to fall back, fall away, go back to the things of the world is because though they profess faith in Christ, we have failed to preach the gospel of perseverance to them. Instead, we've made it about saying sinners' prayers, about making decisions for Christ, about getting them baptized and kind of assuming that they're okay once that's happened. But we haven't taught them about these tribulations. We focus on all the free stuff, the free grace, the free forgiveness, the fellowship that we have with Christ and with his people, which are extraordinary blessings. Don't get me wrong. We can't even begin to comprehend just how much these are gifts to us. And yet we fail. We fail to teach them about the tribulations that are necessary for us to enter into the kingdom of God. And so when life gets hard, when the pressures of the world mount, when the the flesh and the devil are squeezing me and I don't feel like Jesus is working for me in the way that I want him to, I bail. Forget it. I'm gonna go back to the world. I'm gonna do what the world does because at least then I get a little bit of benefit No one told me this was going to be so hard. Everybody talks about how great life with Jesus is, how happy and clappy, and you sing these these ridiculous songs and people are skipping around, but my life stinks. My life is hard. I can't explain the loss and the suffering and the hardship I've had to endure. Where's Jesus in that? It's as Isaac Watts once penned, We don't enter the kingdom on flowery beds of ease, but to sail through bloody seas. Friends, the gain far, far, far outweighs the cost. Paul will say to us later on, these are light and momentary afflictions that were welling up for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison." But that doesn't mean that there aren't tribulations. And we're not doing anyone any favors when we talk about Christ as a means of escaping tribulation. We strengthen their souls when we prepare them for tribulation. And for, so, yes, let, let's speak much and let's speak often about the glories that come from being citizens of the kingdom of God. But let's make sure that we prepare them for tribulation's that will come as a result of living as followers of Christ in the midst of this present and crooked generation. Friends, that kind of strengthening, that kind of encouragement takes more than an occasional pep talk. If you're feeling kind of heavy right now, like I said before, my job is not to be your cheerleader, but to prepare you for lifelong discipleship, it's gonna take more than an occasional. I'm showing up to church today, it's been a month or two, here I am, feed me. It's gonna take more than a 12 week discipleship program, it takes the church. This is why you see Paul and Barnabas appointing elders in every church. I'll say it again, verse 23. It says they appointed elders for every church, not an elder for each church or elders for churches, but a plurality of elders for every single local assembly of believers. And where you have elders, you have churches. If you don't have churches, you don't need elders, right? And so, if you have churches, you need elders because elders lead churches. And so, this missionary enterprise is to engage and evangelize and establish and equip requires leadership development, and it requires church planting. This is lifelong church-based discipleship. Not podcasts or parachurch ministries, but to raise up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations, you need to establish healthy local churches. It's fundamental To this mission that we've been given. They didn't just take these new believers through a short discipleship process and then leave them to fend for themselves. They established churches wherever they went, churches that were led by qualified elders. And so when we think missions, we have to think church planting. We have to think leadership development. Appointing faithful men who can, we can trust to protect the purity of the Christian faith and the church who will guard and who will teach and who will lead and train according to sound doctrine and godly living. But before they leave, we see that with prayer and fasting, they committed these churches of new believers under new leadership to the Lord in whom they had believed. They taught them just through the practical way in which they lived, in praying and fasting. They taught them earnestness and diligence and dependence upon seeking the Lord. And they entrusted the ongoing care of these young flocks to our faithful chief shepherd, Jesus. You want to talk about a test of faith. Paul's blood was literally in this thing. And to be able to commit them to the Lord, and to walk away. These parents might be able to get some kind of idea of what that's like. Right? Just being able to entrust your children to the Lord. Commend them to the grace of God and then let them go and see, see how they stand in that grace. It's a scary thing. Imagine doing it in Paul's situation, knowing all of the tribulations, all of the hostilities, all of the false teaching that they would encounter. And yet, you commend them to God and you keep to the work that Christ has called you. That requires a deep trust in the Lord. Now, friends, it's possible that while Paul preached the gospel as a tent maker, he chose to make tents for the poor, for the orphans or widows. We don't know. But what we do know is that he doesn't talk about tent making as his mission. His mission was to engage, evangelize establish and equip and that mission to raise up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations required that he develop leaders and to plant churches and so the same needs to be true for us again not to not to say you can't do business as missions not to say that you don't have a tent making job in order to free yourself in order to preach the gospel but the tent making is not preaching the gospel it's not establishing and equipping believers it's not planting churches churches so let's not confuse them. Let's not flip the priority here. We can be zealous for all sorts of very important good works. We can have events and activities that foster fellowship, can help us to get to know and serve our community. We can do fun things for our kids. But our mission is to make disciples of all nations by building redemptive communities of gospel centered people. That's our goal. That means engaging in evangelizing, but also establishing and equipping believers by strengthening and planting churches both near and far, doing it in the midst of tribulation and doing it in deep dependence upon Christ through prayer and fasting. But like Paul and like the rest of the early church in Acts, our mission is to make disciples of all nations as we establish them and equip them in the Lord. This is how we spend and are to be spent for the souls of others. And so we raise up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations by engaging and evangelizing, by establishing and equipping, and third, by expanding that mission through cooperation. Verse 24, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. After a year to a year and a half, Paul and Barnabas returned to their home church that church that first sent them out, the church that first commended them to the grace of God. And they brought their, their PowerPoint presentations filled with pictures. They, they brought their, their knickknacks and their trinkets and all their, their local wares from Cyprus and Galatia. And with their laser pointer in hand, having gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. This specific work had been fulfilled. God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And these new converts had been established and equipped. Elders had been appointed for every congregation. Churches had been planted. The gospel ministry continues on. And here we are to celebrate all that God has done. Could you imagine the excitement at this first mission celebration? I've been to a few on-mission celebrations in Southern Baptist life, kind of exciting from time to time, but after day five, not so much. (laughs) But here, you've got these beloved elders, Paul and Barnabas, had returned after being gone for about a year, a year and a half, with stories of of many disciples being made, of the gospel being proclaimed throughout many cities and and in many synagogues, and and even a Roman proconsul coming to faith in Christ. Stories of, of magicians being struck blind, of signs and wonders being performed, of a man who was born lame suddenly able to walk. It's exciting stuff. But they also heard stories of tribulation. How John Mark left them. How many openly opposed the gospel, publicly contradicting and reviling them. How they drove them out of districts and chased them from one town to the next to try to poison people against them. And in Lystra, they stoned Paul. Could you imagine looking upon Paul's face as he recounted that story? You kind of wonder if he was even able to talk about it. Whether it was so traumatic, he he just didn't even go there. Maybe Barnabas was the one that told the story. But as it's happening, you see Paul, you see the scars on his face. Paul, why are you limping? Why are you hobbling? Paul, you don't get around like you used to. Paul, you look older than you did before. What, What happened? But through it all, God was faithful. A door of faith had been opened to the Gentiles. There were many new believers and many new churches under the leadership of many new elders because God is faithful to fulfill his mission through us. And so praise be his name. And Paul and Barnabas would spend no little time with the disciples, probably close to a year with them before going out again. And they did this to recuperate and to re-energize. They did this because this was their home church and they wanted to minister to them as well. But they also did this to serve the mission of Christ. To train up disciples and to encourage new works. To promote missions and to challenge them all to make disciples of all nations. And to prepare to be sent back out by this church on yet a second missionary journey. Friends, that's what a mutually edifying, missions-focused cooperation does. It expands the mission. Friends, when I go back to Louisville, Kentucky, and I go to Clifton Baptist Church, that was my sending church. They were the church that sent me out to come and start this church here. When I come back there, it's always so encouraging. It's such a blessing. I get to tell them, about what the Lord is doing, and I get to encourage them and challenge them and exhort them towards church planting, and they get to edify my soul. They get to encourage me and to persevere. They strengthen my soul for the task at hand. It's so life-giving for both of us. Every time I walk away energized, ready to go back into the battle again, and time and time again the elders tell me just how encouraged they are by what the Lord is doing. Our souls are mutually strengthened for multiplication and expansion of this missionary work through our cooperation together. So whether you are the one being sent or you're among this congregation as those who are sending, we all have an important part to play in this missionary enterprise. To pray, to give, to support, or to go. Friends, that support can look a lot of different ways. Encouraging notes to them, sending gifts for their family, Christmas time, or going over there just to be with them, to encourage them, to build them up. Missions is expanded through cooperation, through these mutually edifying partnerships. And so when we, when we have missionaries or church planters come in, man, we, we want to celebrate what the Lord is doing with them. We want to take that to heart. We should be excited when they come. Matt Reynolds and his family are coming stateside within the next year. We support them. They're, they're one of our sending uh, missionaries. And, and, and we're hoping that they'll come to a visit, to visit us. And we're excited to hear from them of what the Lord is doing to open the door to the people groups in India. We want to encourage missionaries and Church planters in their efforts, and, and we want to be inspired by their stories in order to faithfully and prayerfully consider the call that the Lord might be placing on each and every one of us. We want to support our sister churches, in our association, in their state convention, by continuing to do what we can to help strengthen them in this mission of raising up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations. When we gather here, you probably notice every single Sunday we take this time to to pray for missionaries, to pray for unreached peoples, to pray for church planters. We do this to remind ourselves of what this mission truly is and to know that we serve this important part in encouraging and edifying, even if we don't know them. And so, friends, I hope that when we do that, you're you're not just sitting there apathetically or indifferent towards what's happening but that your hearts might align with theirs and that your prayers might ascend to the Lord in earnestness as we seek the Lord together and praying for them. This is how Christ's mission is going to be fulfilled. By engaging and evangelizing, by establishing and equipping, and by expansion through cooperation. Friends, for all that we could be doing, Let us not forget that this is our primary objective. This is what we've been called to. The missionary enterprise is to raise up lifelong disciples who make disciples of all nations. And so may our ambition be that, according to the grace that God himself supplies. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to, to press reset, to rethink, and to refocus what this call to Christ is, is to truly be about. Now, we, we can't even begin to thank you. We can't even begin to even understand the glories that are ours in Christ, the joy that comes from knowing that we've been forgiven of our sin, the glory that comes from being your child, But Lord, forgive us for thinking that it ends with us. You have called us to be a part of your family and to devote ourselves to the family business. Of continuing to preach and to proclaim, to send out the light of the gospel into those who are in darkness. To bring in more children. To free more from from the burden of guilt and sin and shame. To make your glory known from sea to sea. So that when we think about your church, we have this picture of what it means to be around the throne of God. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Myriads and myriads. So many that they can't even be numbered. Oh God, give us a deep heart and compassion that, that flows from who we now are in Christ not out of a sense of of religious duty, but out of great joy in what we've been given in Christ. May He be our treasure and may we make Him known to others. God, I pray that You would change our hearts so that, that Your missionary heart would be ours. You sent Your Son You sent the Spirit. You sent your Word through your church. And so we want to send, we want to go to do what our dad does. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.